The most important part about wine is your experience with it and the way that you enjoy it. So I spend the most time on my, my wine tastings talking about three little notes that I find the most effective, complexity, length, and balance. And this will help us to basically put wines in different categories. Hi guys, we're your hosts Jillian and Kaylin, and this is Teach Me How to Adult, a podcast on all the things you never learned growing up, like how to buy a home, manage stress, crush your love life, land your dream job, and how to love yourself more, because we could all be a little kinder to ourselves. We're still figuring out how to get our shit together, so we're calling in the experts and the hustlers for some real talk and legit tips on how to live your best life. Adulting isn't easy, but we got you. Hi friends, we are so excited about today's episode because we are talking all things wine with vino expert Lauren Power. And don't worry, this isn't a stuffy, pretentious wine talk. This is literally for all of us who just want to know what to order at a restaurant and how not to look like a goof at your next wine tasting. And we're chatting about how to figure out your palate and discover wines you love, the six most popular wines to try if you're new to the wine game, what to look for when you're tasting wine, how to order wine like a pro when you're out for dinner, and the proper temperature to store wine, and so much more. You guys are going to love it. It's a good one. And we also dive into a very important convo about how we can all master our mindset around drinking so that we can set healthy boundaries, consume with intent, and just appreciate our relationship with this magnificent beverage. <laughs> it's true. It's you got to have a good relationship with it. You do. You do. It's all about that's that's truly how to how to be an adult right there. Managing your consumption. Alcohol relationship. <laughs> Amen. But first, let's kick things off with a basic primer of everything you're going to want to brush up on going into this episode. Okay, so let's start with the grapes. So some of the most popular grapes that you should know include Pinot Grigio, Cabernet Franc, which is mainly grown for blending with Cabernet Sauvignon and Merlot to produce a Bordeaux. Fancy. (laughs) Then there's Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot, Malbec, Syrah, Pinot Noir, Chardonnay, Riesling, and Sauvignon Blanc. And then we have regions. So the top three major wine regions of the world are France, Italy, and Spain. And they literally make up almost half of the wine produced in the whole world. It's crazy. Wow. And then other major areas of the world that have the highest wine production are the U.S., mainly California, Washington, and New York, Argentina, Australia, Germany, South Africa, Chile, and Portugal. I'd love to go to all of those places, but since we can't (laughs) travel right now, we're just going to drink our way through every single region. It's perfect. It's the best way. It's the only way. (laughs) So we do cover some of this with Lauren, but for a quick cheat sheet before we go into the episode... When it comes to sparkling wine, there's a big difference between how Champagne, Cava, and Prosecco are made. So Champagne literally comes from the Champagne region of northeastern France, and it uses a traditional method. It basically just means that the second fermentation process, where it becomes carbonated, actually occurs in the bottle versus in a tank. So Mm -hmm. Cava is Spain's most popular sparkling wine, and it undergoes the exact same process as Champagne with second fermentation in the bottle. And then Prosecco comes from the Veneto region of northeastern Italy, and it has the second fermentation process occurring in tanks rather than bottles. So it's done in big batches. It's also known as Charmant, Charmant, and it's cheaper and faster than doing it the traditional method. Just as good, though. I love Prosecco. I love a Prosecco. Honestly, I think more preferable for me than champagne. I mean, well, it's, it's 
usually more affordable too. So that's that's helpful. In terms of so you can- our favorite sparkling, Vuv is our course, our number one. Nothing oh, beats yeah. a glass of You Vuv. can't beat it. So delish, especially the rosé one. So yummy. But for some more affordable sparkling options, I love a Louis Bouillot Brut Rose. Again, we'll link it in the show notes because I definitely ruined that. L'America Prosecco, so yummy. And the bottle mm, is beautiful. One. And then we have to give some love to our Ontario winemakers. So I'm going to add in Henry of Palam's Cuvée, Catherine Rose Brut. Also a beautiful bottle. It's pink and turquoise. Love it. Delish. So let's talk about tastings. Because for me, this is like one of the big markers of being an actual grown-ass adult is being able to like attend or host a wine tasting and to actually understand it and I've been getting really into it I just did one recently with my partner where we we just got some red wines and instead of just like going about our night and drinking it absentmindedly we actually like went through the tasting notes and tried to decipher what it was like and it made it an experience instead of just absentmindedly drinking a bunch of wine it was really really fun it was nice and I actually learned stuff about wine so you guys have the best date nights we do. It's true. It's true. <laughs> so when it comes to tasting wine, you don't have to be a pro to know or look like you know what you're doing. And the most important thing is really to have fun with it. Make it playful. Make it a way to experience wine mindfully. It really doesn't need to be pretentious, even though sometimes it feels like it is. But <laughs> it's just a way to be present while you drink wine. And Lauren walked us through an entire wine tasting process. And we're just going to distill it into a few key tasting notes. So step one, hold the glass by the stem and look at the wine. You can hold the glass up to a light to note the color better or against something white so you can really see like how, like the opacity of it and the color of it. Is the wine transparent or opaque? Is there sediment in the glass? Also, BT dubs, sediment isn't bad. It's just a byproduct of winemaking that usually settles to the bottom of your glass that forms during the fermentation process or while a wine matures in the bottle. So it's completely natural. It's not harmful. It might taste a bit nasty, though, if you drink it, <laughs> but it's nothing to concern yourself with. It doesn't mean the wine is bad, and it's mostly just made up of bits of seeds, grape skin, and tartrate crystals, a.k.a. wine diamonds. Yes, we're all here for wine diamonds. Which, I mean, diamonds are a girl's best friend. Love it. Love it. You can swirl it around a bit and just kind of aerate it and and just get a sense of it. You can also, hot tip from Lauren, if you've had a few too many or you're just like (laughs) a bit nervous and you're worried that you might spill, if someone pours too much even, you can put your hands over the base of the glass and put the glass on a stable surface like a table and just like move it around so that it swirls and then you don't need to worry about it spilling or being unsteady. So smart. Here for that party trick. Yeah. And then step two, take a sniff. So it helps if you open your mouth a little bit when you smell. And another hot tip that we got from Lauren was to try smelling through one nostril at a time to see if you can pick up different notes. And this was crazy because it actually changed the smell. Like one picked up more alcohol. The other one was more sweetness. It was crazy. Yeah. My right nose exclusively smells like the fruitiness. And my left nose is like, oh, yeah, there's alcohol in there. (laughs) This is alcohol. Yeah, it's crazy. Give that one a try. And then step three, our favorite step, take a sip. So you want to sip the wine while you're breathing in a little bit of air in your mouth so you can help aerate the wine and then swirl it around. So swirl it around your mouth, your tongue, make sure that you're hitting all your taste buds and they're getting some quality time with the wine. And Lauren also had us try swishing the wine from one cheek to another and then swallowing it and then swirling it under our tongue and then swallowing it. So you're basically just literally hitting all the taste buds and mouth feels and just seeing how the wine feels in your mouth and that was really cool because it did actually 
like hit me differently when I mm-hmm. put it under my tongue or when I switched it from switched it from side to side before I swallowed. That's what she said. But it actually <laughs> was like a different experience, which was nice. So you got like different flavors and different mouthfeel. So And yeah. again, you're just appreciating the wine more instead of just chugging it back, which is what we yeah. should all learn to do more. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> it's, we're at that point in our lives where we got to do more than just chug. So then step four, see if you can pick up on the five basic structural components of a wine. And seriously, this part should be fun. So like, don't get really caught up in getting nervous about saying the wrong thing. I know in the past, I have been like worried to speak up about what I detect because I'm like, oh, I might say something wrong. It's like, no one fucking cares. It it does not (laughs) matter if you smell fig or if you smell tart. It doesn't matter. Tart's not even a smell. See, I just fucked up and it doesn't matter. (laughs) So just go with your gut. Or go with your mouth and be playful with it and see what you personally pick up. So the five basic structural components are fruit, sugar, alcohol, acidity, and tannin. And with fruit, it's usually when you can note specific fruit flavors like dark cherry, strawberry, green apple, tropical fruits. And then Mm -hmm. sugar is probably the first thing you're going to notice when you're drinking the wine is its relative sweetness or dryness. And dryness can literally just be a lack of sweetness or it can be that like crazy feeling in your mouth when it's super dry after a dry wine. I actually like I didn't really realize that before. I thought dryness just meant it's not sweet. And then when I learned that it actually, yes, literally is that dry, like dry tongue feel. Yeah. No way. If there's no like saliva in your mouth after you've drank it, like. She dry. Drink more water, kids. (laughs) (laughs) So then there's alcohol content, obviously. So alcohol is in every wine, but you can pick up on the amounts of alcohol when you taste it. So a moderate amount of alcohol in wine adds sweetness to the taste. And if the alcohol is too high and it's out of balance with the tannins in the fruit, then the wine might feel like more hot in your mouth and a bit difficult to drink and, and a bit overwhelming. You can also detect that a bit from the smell too. Yeah. And then with acidity, that's the next sensation that you'll notice. And it's the tartness or the acidity of the wine. So I don't like a, a super, super acidic wine. And that's that's a big decider for me. I used to think it was like dryness was my, my, my like deal breaker, but it's actually not. It's the acidity. And then tannin is a chemical that comes from the stalks and the pits and the skins of red grapes. And it kind of tastes astringent. It got, it's got that mouth drying effect and it literally makes your mouth like pucker and you can also practice identifying notes like if a wine is light or bright and bold and big and talk about what kind of finish it has is it smooth is it lingering complex like some wines you finish them and you they linger in your mouth for a while and then others it's like as soon as as soon as it's down the hatch it's gone and then when you think about other flavors you can pick up there's other things like vanilla florals minerals oak toasty or peppery notes so there's a ton But we are not the experts, clearly, so we called in Lauren Power. Lauren is the owner of Lauren Power Wines, which runs a full sensory, in-person, and virtual wine tasting experience to help people develop and explore their own personal wine palette. She shares helpful Wine 101 tips, tricks, and videos on her Instagram, at laurenpower underscore wine, and she's the sales and marketing maven behind her family-owned wine and spirit importer, Tremichu Wines. Teach us how to drink wine like a pro, Lauren. Can you walk us through how to figure out what wines you actually like and like what your actual palate is? Like I've gone through life being like, I don't like dry wine. That's just not my jam. But then I'll blindly like when I when I'm not aware of what wine I'm drinking, I'll 
my favorite one will be a dry wine. So I actually don't know whether it's like the oakiness or the tannins or like what, how do you figure out your palate and what you like and don't like and how do you kind of identify what to choose? Yeah, yeah. So when it comes to what you like in wine, right, we hear these words like dry, um, tannins, acidity, and the everyday wine drinker, right? Like what does that mean? Dry means you know, not sweet, Mm -hmm. but we also get a dry feeling in our mouth when we drink wine. So does that, is that the same thing, right? It's, it's very difficult language to navigate around Mm -hmm. the information that we're given about wines, right? Like that kind of little sentence of lively fruits with oaky finish. It's like, what the F does that mean? (laughs) I always look at wines, two things about a wine. Um, And the first is the grape. So, you know, Pinot Grigio, Chardonnay, Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot. And the second thing I look at is the region where the grapes were actually grown, where the wine was actually made. Because the grape obviously tells us what type of wine it is, but the region to me is is extremely important because if we take Pinot Noir, for example, Pinot Noir in California is generally very jammy and fuller and and sweeter whereas if you have a pinot noir from france it's really really light we get more minerality from it which is you know things it's it's much different it's much different and the average wine drinker probably would think they were two completely different grapes but same grape different region so i always say you know educate yourself on the grape and also the region the region super important as well Right. And that and the different regions, is it like the climate? Like what makes them so different? The temperatures in which the grapes are are grown? So that for sure, but also just history. Certain regions just make their wines in a certain way. California is a great example. California usually does their wines very oaky, as we were saying, right? Which means the wines are aged in oak for a long time. And we get a lot of like wood and and different types of elements um, when we're drinking wines, um, depending on, on which oak they're using. So generally, you know, wines from California are bigger, sweeter, bolder. Makes sense. Speaking of popular wines, what are some of like the most popular wines out there? I mean, that's a very broad question, but that you would you would grab like we hear like Pinot Grigio or Cabernet Sauvignon, like those are such broad terms and I know those are grapes. So walk us through like how you would pick a wine if you're going to the LCBO, your top picks kind of thing. So when it comes to whites, um, Pinot Grigio um, from Veneto, Italy, Sauvignon Blanc from Marlborough, New Zealand, and then Chardonnay from California. Those are three quite distinct white wines that are super popular and common that I would recommend people have. And then when it comes to red, um, I would say a Merlot, a Cabernet Sauvignon, and I really love Malbec. I think it's an amazing big wine. So that's that's what I say. Most people would probably not include that in their three most popular, but that's, that's my reco. Love that. And... I know it, it differs per region, but just for people who aren't super familiar with the different grapes and, and what like is the identity behind each one. I mean, I know Oaky California Chardonnay is like not really my jam and that's how I think of them, but maybe that's a bit ignorant. I'm not sure. I love like a German Riesling that's very sweet, which lots of people don't like because it's very sweet. And then with Pinot Grigio and with Sauvignon Blanc, what are like the key features? Pinot Grigio is an interesting one because Pinot Grigio is the most popular grape. Yeah. yeah. 
it's for whites, right? It's it's grown pretty much everywhere. It's done in really massive, huge production. So Pinot Grigio kind of gets a bad rap, I find, because it is so you know mass marketed and produced. The grape or the wine, we get you know sometimes very very light, almost like a watered down wine. Sometimes it's very sweet. And the true Pinot Grigio grape is is a quite a dry wine. It's a dry grape, and it is quite you know fruit forward. There is there is a lot of flavor to it. So in a um, Pinot Grigio, we're going to get things like green apple when we're when we're drinking. We're going to get softer those softer kind of fruit notes. In a Sauvignon Blanc, you know, again, if we're getting it uh, or if we're finding a true good quality Sauvignon Blanc, um, Marlboro, New Zealand is, is the best place to get Sauvignon Blanc, a traditional Sauvignon Blanc. And in that, we're going to get a lot more tropical fruit, very bright, um, very acidic wine. With that, a lot of people like a Sauvignon Blanc, um, I find, um, because it tastes sweet. Um, but it but it is quite dry in terms of you know residual sugar levels. Um, so that's that's a pretty popular one for summer. <laughs> love it, love that. <laughs> and any key notes on like some of the popular reds? So you know California Cab is um, super popular, and it's you know the red wine to kind of the the California Shard, oaky big jammy, right? A little bit sweeter, which is a little bit more approachable. So when it comes to California. The way I kind of look at it is if we're looking at other regions in the world and, you know, Cab, for example, Cab from Northern Italy usually is is quite tannic. It's very different. It's, it's not jammy or super oaky like they do in California. Yeah. Right. And can you give us just like the quickest overview also of rosé? Because... I feel like in the past two years, I've gotten really into rosé, but I don't know anything about it. And I think it was my mom recently, or someone was asking me, like, well, what, like, how does the rosé come to be? I'm like, I have no fucking clue. So I'm going to ask Lauren. (laughs) (laughs) So rosé is an interesting one. Um, Most people come to me and they're like, isn't rosé just white and red wine mixed together? Um, Not, no, kind of, but but no. It's not like we have a white and a red and we mix them. But when we're making rosé... We can make rosé with any grape. So that's what makes rosé super interesting because we can get so many styles because we can use any grape. So think of a green grape and a red grape, right? When you bite into a grape, what's the color of the inside of that? Usually like the, the same, tr- right? It's like white. It's translucent-y. Yeah, it's <laughs> clear. Yeah, yeah. It's like, it's like clear. It's like this jelly, right? Yeah. So when we squeeze a grape, regardless of the color, green or red, the juice that actually runs out of that is clear because the color's coming from that inside, right? Right. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't really explain why white wines are white and red wines are red. So when we make white wines, we take all the grapes, we squeeze them, and then the juice, that you know, clear colored juice basically goes into the winemaking process. With red wines, we squeeze the grapes, we get the juice on one side, the skins, the seeds, all of that on the other side. And then we actually bring all of those elements back together and then it goes into the winemaking process. So that's why red wine has that deeper color to it. And, and we get a lot more color variance in red wine generally. With rosé wine, we do the process of red, but we only let the skins and the seeds sit with the juice for 
you know, two to 12 hours and then we remove it. So that's why we get more of a, you know, that pinker, very light color. And we get a lot of color variants because we can use different grapes skins to let it sit. So different colors, um, as well as the length of time that it sits. So rosé, very, very interesting because, you know, we can use a blend of white grapes and red grapes. We can use you know, one white, one red, we can really use anything to make rosé and then we can let it sit with any skin. So, you know, one of the wines that I work with, it's a, it's Pinot Grigio grape, but it sits with um, Malbec skins. Cool. Okay. Right, so that's, so we get an interesting wine from that. I also have, you know, wines, I'm like loving Malbec today. So I, I'm like, that's all. I feel like that's all I'm talking about. But uh, from Argentina, um, I have a rosé from th from there that I work with and it's Malbec grape with Malbec skin, right? But it comes out this, this um, pinky color. So it's definitely interesting. You'll see, you know, with rosé, you'll see that certain regions make certain kinds of rosé using certain grapes based on what they're most known for or you know what's popular from there so we do get a ton of different flavors from it because they're it's they're all made from different grapes cool okay rosé feel more like adult already the every person's wine there you i know go. It, it's like <laughs> but then i guess yeah rosés are also different which this explains why but it's yeah. it feels accessible so i took a wine course at george brown i took two of them and I barely remember anything because I never spat out the wine. And I ended up drinking like seven glasses of wine every day on that course. And at the final exam, I got like a B minus and my husband got a B plus and I, I will never forget it. And I'm so upset, but it's because I, I drink too much. So I wanted to know, how do you actually like taste the wine when you're doing a wine tasting? Obviously, you can spit it out or you can swallow it. But how, what do you what are you looking for in your wine when you're tasting it? What are the different like notes that yes. someone would walk you through? Yeah. So, you know, usually when we do a wine tasting, it's look, swirl, smell, taste. And then, you know, we talk about the way that it felt, the taste that we got, the texture, blah, blah, blah. I do that with all my wine tastings, but I do it in a bit of a different way. We definitely touch on all of those elements. Um, but for me, the most important part about wine is that is your experience with it and the way that you enjoy it. So instead of focusing on the smells that we're getting and the way that it looks, right? Although very important, it's not a huge factor in whether you're going to like a wine or not. I spend the most time on my, my wine tastings um, talking about um, three little notes that I find the most effective for me. And it's complexity, length, and balance. So, so three things, again, complexity, length, and balance. And this will help us to basically put wines in different categories because some wines, you know, are great sipping wines. We want to drink them in the summer. We want to drink them, you know, great, like by a fire, very enjoyable. Other wines we might like the taste of, but they may be a little bit aggressive or too this or to that and then that's where maybe we incorporate food or we you know drink at different times of the day or or drink at different temperatures so again i focus more on that you know complexity did the wine open up did it change as we were drinking it or did it stay pretty much the same throughout length did the wine really linger on our palate, or did it go away rather quickly and then balance right was this wine something that we can sip on did it feel like it had everything was it missing anything was it too much or too little of something else and i find by doing that we're actually getting to the point of why we're doing it 
That's like a that. lot less complicated than being like, I taste green apple and raspberry. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like it's so yeah, hard it, to pick the right fruit tone. So I like that way of breaking it down to those three categories. It makes it more... I don't know, less daunting. Yeah. Well, and that's, as you said, that's actually useful information. Like whether there's yeah. a green apple or not in it, which is, you know, still fun to pick out. Like I want to know more. So like, is this something I'm going to bring to the park and drink all afternoon? Or is this yeah. something I should pair with meat? Totally. So what are some pro quick tips for choosing wine off of a wine list? At a restaurant, at a, like off of a menu that will make you feel like you know what you're talking about. Yes, totally. Okay, so most restaurants will have a wine list that highlights the most popular wines from the most popular regions. Unless you're at more of a unique style restaurant that's, you know, an all Greek restaurant or a very, very heavy, like very Italian restaurant. And usually you can tell by the food and how kind of authentic the food is. Mm -hmm. Their wine list will match or not match, right? With that, I mean, I always recommend, you know, leaning on the, the, the sommelier or the, or the server. And I find... If you look at the list and you're familiar with anything, um, especially region-wise, I always recommend, you know, if you're kind of in a it stuck and you're like, I really don't know what to go with, find a region that you like wine from and, you know, you're, you're probably safe. The other thing that I really like to do if you're like feeling a little bit more adventurous is ask the server something that isn't like, you know, what wine pairs well with this? Those are great questions too that, that I'm sure they work around, but I like to ask like, what's the most surprising wine on your menu or what's the you know what's something that you've had for a while that you think is underrated or what's something new that you have that's going to surprise me like I always ask kind of those fun questions you know depending on who you're with too if it's somebody who you know also kind of appreciates wine it's it's great to like have conversation around those things makes for makes for a fun experience and if you're in a group setting or just like on a date with someone you don't know that well is there are there kind of like safe picks that are usually somewhat universal or is it just totally dependent on where you're at and who you're with a lot of people love california wine so if you're ordering red definitely california cab is going to be a pretty um pretty good good choice or safe choice Mm -hmm. again malbec um usually a pretty safe choice as well for white pinot grigio again pretty safe yeah (laughs) if i'm in a big group and this is just me and my friends probably hate me for this, but I always, I'm like, okay, half the table's getting one wine and half the table's getting another and then we're going to talk about it. And they're like, okay, sure. Like they're usually pretty into it until they're like, we want to order tequila now. And I'm like, okay, (laughs) I just find wine such an amazing vehicle to have conversation around because it's usually just good times. And again, depending on the, the restaurant that you're at, right. And in Toronto, obviously, they have tons of great little wine bars. Usually, if you're, you know, talking to the server, or chatting about what kind of wine you like or what you want to taste, they'll usually, you know, bring it over and say, you know, try this. Tell me if you like it or not. That's what I think anyway. Most restaurants should, should do if you're committing, especially to a bottle of wine. I never do that, but you're right. If you're gonna buy a bottle, they usually have them open, and yeah. you can just. That's the problem with with wine and and the industry of wine is that it's so pretentious and it's like, am I allowed to ask those questions because I don't know anything about wine. I don't know if this is a good wine. That's what I always get. I don't like this, but I don't know if it's a good wine or not. Or like, I like this, but I don't know if it's good. Like, it doesn't matter. There is, to me, there's no such thing as good wine and bad wine. There's wine that I like and wine that I not, I don't really 
gravitate towards but I appreciate all wines because I know different people like different wines so people always ask me you know when a server comes and pours wine into your glass for you to try right like what is that for and the reason is to see if the wine is corked or not and what happens in a very small percentage of bottles but when we seal with cork right there's a small chance that the cork is tainted in some way and it will basically oxidize or ruin the wine so that's why you know restaurants mainly do that but again as the average wine drinker if you're ordering something off a menu that you haven't had before most people would taste that and be like i don't know if this because i don't know what it's supposed to taste like so i don't know if it's good or bad right that's it's happened to me especially at the beginning of my my dad would always pour me bad wine i'd be like this is interesting he's like yeah this has been in the fridge for like two months <laughs> you're like and i'm like okay cool right and that that's how i learned and that's such a good point. I love that you brought up the good versus bad wine because I feel like I've just been tasting a lot of different wines in, in quarantine this past year like because there's nothing else to do. So I've just been like getting a lot of wine and I'll just do a bit of a blind test. Like my partner just got some really expensive wine, some, some pretty cheap wine, and we would just try a bunch of it. And more often than not, my favorite was like, the $14 bottle not the $60 bottle and I was like oh my god I'm choosing all of the bad wines and he's like it's not bad just because it's cheaper I'm like right right true price has nothing to necessarily do with it it's like a subjective preference it's what does my palate enjoy there's no good or bad and just because it costs more doesn't mean it's going to be better for you and yeah my dad who's like has very expensive tastes and is very much about like having nice things all the time low-key his favorite bottle of red is $11. It's a good thing to remember. There's no good or bad. And you know, wine is expensive for two reasons. A, there's just wines that have good marketing or whatever that may be. And the second is because they're done in a very high quality. A very certain pedigree of grape is chosen. They're aged in oak and certain oaks for a really long period of time. They're bottled in a certain way and all, all of these things. And again, for an everyday wine drinker, we're you know, we're not going to appreciate or pick up on those things. Mm -hmm. If I'm choosing wines to drink every day, they're usually in that 15 to $25 range. Otherwise, we would all be broke. Yeah, <laughs> I'd, be, I'd have nothing. <laughs> so some wine 101. When should you decant a wine? And usually you only decant red, right? <laughs> yeah, so usually we only decant red. Why we decant wines is to let wines open up and breathe. In terms of how long we want to decant a wine, it depends on how long the wine has been aged for. For a wine to last in a bottle, you know, five plus years to be aged, the wine needs to have a significant amount of oak um, influence on it or a significant amount of oak aging. So, you know, that's kind of another myth I'll get into is all wine is going to get better with age. Unfortunately, for most people, most of the wine that we buy is not meant to be aged. It won't be better in five or 10 years, right? It's just, it's just not made that way. So when it comes to reds, I mean, I always say that 20 minutes of a, like a fuller red is, is good to do. Regardless, when we decant a wine, right, and we're obviously leaving it open, generally if we, we're pouring a glass or two glasses or three and then we're letting it sit, so the wine is going to continue to open up a little bit. Definitely when it comes to, you know, more expensive bottles or wine that's been done in a certain way, we want to decant, you know, for 
maybe around 40 minutes, um, just depending. I, I always say it depends on, you know, what your cadence is like. If you're sharing it with eight different people and everyone's getting a glass, maybe decant an hour or two beforehand. But it's always best to do your research on, on that type of stuff and how long things need to really decant for. And are there any, like, proper temperatures to keep in mind for serving white, red, rosé, sparkling wine? Yeah, yeah. So... Sparkling super super cold. I keep all my sparkling in the fridge like if I'm know I'm gonna be drinking it in the next day or so um, But it, it does need a couple hours to get super cold With whites I say, you know put it in about two hours beforehand um, We want it cold but not like ice cold like we need sparkling and red is a super interesting one, right? Because we hear red is supposed to be served at room temperature and then you have people who chill it and they're like, oh, you're not supposed to do that. Like the pretentiousness comes in. <laughs> so wine is supposed to be served at room temperature was something that was created a super long time ago. Like I've told you guys, I'm moving tomorrow and I know when my mother, I have like a note on my sticky thing being like, turn down temperature before mom comes in tomorrow because she, my mom's going to slap me when she sees how hot it is in here. That is not what room temperature was a decade or 10 decades ago. Right. So when it comes to reds, we want to serve between 14 and 18 degrees. 14 for those lighter style wines like Pinot Noir, um, 18 for those heavier cab wines. But it always is up to personal preference. You know, those are those are good guidelines to stick to. But if you like your cab at 14 degrees or if you like it at room temperature, that is totally okay. It's really how you like to enjoy it great point about how like these rules that were made decades ago like things have changed we don't live in caves anymore like room temperature is just not a thing <laughs> my place feels like a cave sometimes but. so what are some easy no-brainer food pairings that people could do with like your average red your average white rosé sparkling what's like your go-to so sparkling great with seafood oysters shrimp white wines again great with different different seafood but really great with like those lighter style meals I like like a nice salad for me like if I'm doing like a lunch lunch kind of thing like a big salad pinot grigio or a white wine is always really nice with that rosé fish depending on the style of rosé and the grapes really great to explore with fish white wine also really great with fish and then red wine no if we're having a if we have a wine like a Cabernet Sauvignon, California, like very bold, rich, we want uh, steak, meat, those types of heavier meals, stews, anything like that. Mm. If we have a wine that, you know, we find very tannic and that's that feeling we get in our mouth that's like puckering, dry, it's, um, it, it almost tastes like bitter, right, when we drink a really big red. So when we're drinking those wines and maybe if they're wines that, you know, it's too aggressive for us. If we have a wine like that, pair it with something fatty. So steak, meats, but also really nice with like charcuterie. So cheeses and meats always makes for a nice pairing because those tannins really cut through the fat of, of the foods. And again, makes for a really nice pairing. So those are kind of my, my recos. Spicy food, go with a Riesling for sure. We don't want anything like super dry with spicy food because it just makes them both too much so is there any like rule of thumb that you use for what people should expect to spend on a decent bottle of wine if it's let's say a gift or you're bringing it as a guest to a house it's really hard to know I'm sure there's some guidelines dependent on like what like what you make or where you're at in your life but how how do you approach or advise people on that I always say the best gift is something that you can speak to regardless of the price 
if it's a wine that you like, right? Or it's like a new wine that someone's put you on, right? Speak to it. If Talk about the winery, do some research on it, right? Is this from a certain region? Maybe it's organic or sustainable. Maybe it's, maybe it's a family vineyard and they have a cool story behind it. Or you have a personal story to it, right? I tried this with, with seafood and I think it's amazing. You know, I know you like shrimp, so I got this for you, right? If you can speak to something because so many people can't or don't, it doesn't, to me, the price, like it doesn't matter, right? If you can do something like that, that to me is priceless, so. That's a great idea and it's so much yeah. more thoughtful because you're right, it, it, it doesn't necessarily need to be about how expensive it is. It could just be one of my favorite red wines is like from Josh, whatever that label is. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so I, I got it from one of my friends who has a boyfriend named Josh. And she was like, this is really thoughtful. And I'm like, I don't know. I was just like cute branding. And that's before I'd even tried the wine. And we both loved it. No, I love that. If I feel like, yeah, if there's sentimental value or a story behind it, it just makes it a little bit more special. Mm-hmm. So what's your favorite wine right now or wines? There's so many factors that come into wines. So well, there's so many things I appreciate within a wine, even wine that I drink that I don't like, I still will like put on a list of things that I like, right? Yeah, yeah. Because I know that somebody else that I know will really like it, or it has a really great story behind it. Maybe I just don't like that grape or that style. So I'll kind of switch the question on you. And you know, a lot of people ask me like, where's a good place to buy wine? Like what's like the best value wines right now? Where would you look for South America? This is me going off on another Malbec tangent. <laughs> I don't know what is up with me today. It's like, I swear I drink other wines than that. But South America, you know, incredible place right now to buy wines. Very, very good value, very good quality. You know, do a little bit of research on the wines that you're getting, right? See, you know, where they're coming from how they're doing it. It's like it's like anything else, right? Wines that are made from a s smaller batch generally are going to be done specifically versus something that is bulk and needs to be made, like billions of bottles need to be made, right? So not that either of them are right or wrong, but depending on what you like and how you want to enjoy your wine, right? Do some of that research into, into that. So South America is an awesome place personally for me right now. South African wines also. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> South African uh, wines are very, very good and something I, I would recommend, you know, you try out for sure. Um, in terms of where, so, you know, Malbec, of course, from, from Argentina, amazing. Different wines from Argentina specifically, they have a, a white grape that's native called, uh, that's called Torontes. That's a really cool, different white. You know, if, if you're if you're really into whites, definitely try that. If you're into reds, you know, try a Malbec from there. Try a Reserva or a Grand Reserva. Those usually have some more oak aging to them and they're a little bit richer. From Chile, uh, Chile, try Carmenere. And Carmenere is a very, very kind of the grape of Chile, similar to a Cabernet Sauvignon, but it's a little bit softer and rounder. Usually it's done in a lot of different blends, you know, either with Cabernet Sauvignon, sometimes Syrah, different blends there. So so look for Carmenere in Chile um, if, if you like those, those uh, red wines. We so appreciate how open you've been both in this interview and on Instagram about your journey with mental health because it's something that I think a lot of people need to talk more about and there's strength and vulnerability and you opening up allows us to open up and other people. So thank you so much for that. Can you talk about a little bit your, about your relationship with alcohol and mental health? Because I know 
we both went to universities. Western was a very party university. And I think when you when you're so young and you don't really know how to handle alcohol or drink responsibly, like how did you navigate that, especially with someone who had mental health um, struggles that they were going through? What was sort of your key to finding balance? I think that was a big reason why subconsciously I never wanted to get into um, this industry because I knew that I definitely you know, depended on alcohol or used it as a way to feel more comfortable and fit in and abuse it and all of those things. So when it came to my mental health and, and the recovery of that, you know, I didn't drink because I... I basically, I didn't have any opportunity to. I was basically like focused on my recovery. I wasn't really hanging out with friends or going clubbing or doing any of that. I definitely used alcohol for all those reasons. Make myself feel more confident, you know, fit in with friends, like have, I thought that like, that was the most fun thing, even though it's really not like getting super drunk. The and then like, like for me anyway, it's like, like it's fun for like an hour and then you're like all drunk and like you like get mad at someone or one of your friends starts crying and yeah. you like end up eating like four p- pounds of pizza and then you wake up and you're hungover and you're like what even happened right like yeah. I mean yeah. the next fun. day's like, ruined you, but- you go into an anxiety spiral yeah. like it's yeah. the worst yeah totally totally so I said to myself I was like I don't you know and I, I was starting to get into the industry as well and and you know I I told my dad I'm like dad I I'm in the wine industry and I'm sober how does this work mm-hmm. and he was like you know, we got this. He came to every wine event that I had to do. He came with me and he was like, I'll drink for you. Mm -hmm. So I told myself I needed to do absolutely everything that I would do drunk. I had to do it sober. And that included first dates. It included a rave. It included a funeral. It included, you know, everyday life. It included going to dinner with, you know, the girls, um, going to clubs often, going to concerts, like anything, anything that I would usually drink for, I was like, I need to do this sober. I need to get through it and I need to either enjoy it and figure it out or decide that this actually isn't something I want to do. So I was sober for about six months. I slowly kind of started back into incorporating it, but now for me, especially with the industry that I'm in, it's, it's always been like, I so much appreciate and love wine because I love everything that it brings me. I love the stories behind our wines. For me, wine is, wine is always an experience. It's like drinking with a certain person or drinking, you know, to taste this versus this, or it always comes with something. And for me before wine was always related to my emotions. It was like, oh, I'm bored so I'm gonna drink oh I want to party so I'm gonna drink I'm sad so I'm gonna drink so now I have very very strict rules in place where when I'm sad I do not drink when I'm angry I do not drink when I'm alone I do like when I'm feeling alone not necessarily just physically alone but when I'm feeling like you know deep in there I do not drink so there I have very very set rules around it now too wow that's I think a lot of people, myself included, need to hear that because it's so easy, as you mentioned, to use drinking as like a crutch. And if we can't participate in these activities soberly, like that's such a good test that you did because then should like, should we be participating in them? And is this just a general reevaluation about what we enjoy? Because if you don't enjoy something soberly, what are we doing getting drunk just so that we can do it? Because I don't think I'd like half of the clubs that I've frequented in my life if I were sober. <laughs> so then why am I like 
literally like poisoning myself to try to put up with it and so many people are sober curious right now it's it's a it's a big thing or they're on like you know the california diet where you like just smoke weed and don't drink oh is that a thing yeah 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 oh anyways I mean, regardless, I feel like I'm doing that right now. Yeah, that's that, yeah, but it's it's a big interest right now in our society. So you've mentioned the trying things soberly before you reintroduce alcohol. Do you have any other advice on how people can approach whether it's just a dry month or just actually navigating like cutting out booze? Because I think of the like the eating disorder history I have, I don't I'll I'll never say like completely cut something out because for me I found that that to be super triggering like if I can't have something I want it more and you know obviously unless you have a problem I definitely recommend not drinking but if you're somebody who's looking to have a different approach to alcohol and different approach to wine and it's it's something that you're interested in again it's find more to it right if you're drinking alcohol to get drunk or because you feel a certain way then you need to reevaluate that side. With that, I would definitely recommend, you know, taking some time off and working on that mental health side of things. If, you know, you're drinking and you want to, maybe you have a few too many at girls' night or whatever, but you're somebody who enjoys wine and wants to do more with it, right? Find something more to the wine or to the alcohol right you can still enjoy it without going overboard you just need to find another reason or another way to enjoy it yeah some of my favorite memories of drinking or or drinking with my dad and him sharing a bottle from he's a big collector and him sharing some bottle with me and telling me the story of how he bought it when he was 30 and he's aged it for 40 years like it's just there's so much more we can experience behind it man we're gonna start doing that next time jill and i can go out for dinner again when the world's open we're gonna text you and be like we just asked the waiter for their tip on what to order (laughs) and it's gonna be great yes it's (laughs) legit a game changer I have one more question, just jumping back to um, when you did decide to go sober for those six months, because I feel like some people may be nervous to do something like that. Maybe they're afraid what their friends are going to say or they're going to be judged or someone's going to think they have a problem. How did you navigate those conversations with your friends and family if you said anything at all? And yeah, what would you recommend to people who do want to do a sober month? I think there's two things. If you feel like you need to explain yourself, like, F that, like the most important thing, the first thing you need to focus on is you. But I definitely recommend if you have people in your life that are supportive and then, you know, tell them and tell them why. And if there are people who are supportive and who want the best for you and love you, then they will be nothing but supportive. I There was times where I was out with my girlfriends and I was like, let's just get a shot of tequila. And I remember my friend being like, you made it this far. You don't want it. You don't need it. And like, like she even came, she was like, she had one drink. She had a glass of wine and she didn't drink for the rest of the night. Cause like, she was like, this is fine. This is fun. Right. So, and make sure you have those people in your corner. If people have something to say, I guess kind of going back to that one point, if people do have something to say, or they have a problem with what you're doing, then they are not meant for you, not meant to be in your life. And, and it's likely an insecurity of theirs. So. And then projecting their own issues on you. Exactly. The people that care will want the best for you and they'll see that you're making a choice that's like the healthiest choice for you right now. And they'll have your back. Yeah. I mean, I feel like 
I think it was 2015 was when I really tried to change my relationship with alcohol. And I've, you know, like we all fuck up sometimes and don't eat enough dinner and then drink too much and then just like have one of those nights. But my mind completely transformed after just kind of hitting a rock bottom with drinking from I'm going to go out and get wasted, which was, you know, in my early 20s, what I was doing to in 2015 being like, I will have drinks, but I never want to be like shit faced. Yeah. Everyone just needs to figure out what's the healthiest for them and surround themselves with people who have their backs. Alcohol isn't good for everybody. Mm -hmm. Right. Not everybody in university. It's like everybody needs to be binge drinking and blacking out every night. Right. But that's like saying that everybody should eat tuna for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Yeah. Like everybody likes it and enjoys it. It's like, what? Like, why are we all expected to enjoy an obsessive amount of alcohol? And we all respond to alcohol differently. Like, we metabolize it faster or slower than others. Our tolerances are different. Like, yeah. The next days are different. Some oh, people don't okay. get hangovers. Some people, I'm pointing to myself, <laughs> stay in bed until the evening and just have, like, heart palpitations. So yeah. it's like, what? My anxiety is, like, six times worse the next morning after yeah. drinking. Like, whether it's one glass or ten, it's yeah. so bad. So that's been something I've had to navigate as I get older because, like, I don't need that anxiety shame spiral the next day because I have got shit to do now. We always love to ask our guest, what is one thing that you wish you had learned in school that you didn't? I wish that I was educated more so on the current state of the world versus the history of the world. Not, you know, history is important and it's good too. So maybe not instead of it, but I wish that there was more about what was going on and, and the impact of certain things Thank you so much for all of your wisdom. And please tell us where everyone can find you and creep you and see all of your awesome content. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. On Instagram, it's Lauren Power underscore wine. Same with, I think, the website, Lauren Power Wine. Um, Trey Michi is my family's company. So you'll see that everywhere. It's the same thing. Um, and I also have a YouTube channel now. Um, so search up Unpopular on YouTube. Um, it is a channel that I just started with my friend Kate. And it's uh, very similar to this, very like lifestyle and all things, everything. Um, really focusing on kind of those unpopular and kind of scary conversations. So yeah. That's where you can find me. Love it. And we are all for those chats. Yes. (laughs) Thank you so much. So there you have it, friends. We hope this episode helps you feel more confident when it comes to choosing wine and drinking like a pro. We'll leave you with a quote from our all-time favorite on the value of drinking all kinds of wines and experiences in life. In the wise words of our beloved David Rose, I do drink red wine, but I also drink white wine. And I've been known to sample the occasional rosé. And a couple summers back, I tried a Merlot that used to be a Chardonnay. I like the wine and not the label. That's what he said. Cheers! So there you have it, guys. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you heard today, it would mean the world to us if you would subscribe and leave a comment or a rating. And we'd love it if you would share this with your friends by screenshotting the episode and sharing it on social by tagging at Teach Me How to Adult Podcast and DM us with any topics or guests you'd like to hear on the show. See you next time. Bye. Bye.